0: Thank you for tuning in. We trust that you will be blessed and refreshed as you hear this message. This morning, we continue to look at the book of uh, Zechariah. We'll be looking at the chapter 3, which has 10 verses. You know, when we look at our own lives, when we look at the movies that we watch, the stories that we read, the books that we are drawn to, there is a certain amount of attraction to stories that have these rags-to-riches stories, isn't it? You take any of the stories that you take, whether it's a fairy tale like Cinderella. Here's the Cinderella who's wearing dirty robes like me, serving her stepmother, ill-treated by her stepsisters, and suddenly here comes the prince who changes her life and she becomes from rags-to-riches. And that sort of attracts us over the centuries, you know, movies after movies are being made and still it's so attractive. Not only in the fairy tale, talk about in the real life. We are all attracted to Rags to riches story, aren't we? How many of us would have watched that movie, Pursuit of Happiness, which is a true story of Christopher Gardner who went from rags to riches. In this movie, you see how he couldn't pay a taxi. He was living in shelter homes with his son and then went on to do trading and became a multi-millionaire and he went on to establish a company and he's also shown in the end in the movie. But this rags to riches story attracts us. What if I told you this... This morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that your story is also a rags-to-riches story. Each one of our stories is a rags-to-riches story worth the Hollywood movie. Worth that story. But what if I also told you that you are not instrumental in the rags-to-riches journey that you have had? It is someone else who's had the influence on you to make you move from rags-to-riches. My friends, but this riches that we are talking about in Christendom is not confined to what we think of riches This riches moves beyond this realm to another realm. A riches that we can't even imagine. And each of us has that riches that we are talking about. And this is exactly what we'll be looking at in the book of Zechariah chapter 3. And you will know why I'm wearing this soiled shirt very soon. Just to recap, we looked at chapter one, we looked we started off the book of Zechariah by refining process requires continual surrender. Part one. Part two, we looked at on the theme of the presence of Jesus Christ, the prayer of Jesus Christ, and the passion of Jesus Christ. And part three, we looked at the vision of the four horsemen and the four four craftsmen or the four hammerers. We looked at understanding the big picture of how God is sovereign over multiple nations. And chapter four. Chapter 2 and part 4, we looked at blessings beyond boundaries. That's the last thing that we looked at. And today, we are going to be looking at dirty rags to divine robes of righteousness. Dirty rags to divine robes of righteousness. (coughs) Like you know, most of the visions that Zechariah sees our visions that bring hope and encouragement to the people of Israel. So this vision that we will read in chapter 3, is also a vision that brings hope. Let's look at this. The first three visions dealt with the externals of Israel. It dealt about the conquering of the enemies. It dealt about building up of the city. It dealt about how nations will be punished, etc. In this fourth vision, when we come, we come to God dealing with the internal of Israel, the refinement of Israel. So it moves from the external to the internal and that's what we'll be looking at in chapter 3. Ten verses, lots to glean from, but we will look at it verse by verse. Shall we read chapter 3? If you have your Bibles, if you're at home and you want to pick up a Bible, a notebook and a paper, please do and some of you here, I'll be giving you the verses, some of it which I will not put it up on the slide, so note it down, you can go back home and do your own study. Let's begin to read from chapter 3 verse 1. It says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at the right hand to oppose him. Verse two, and the Lord, you notice that I picked up NKJV for a purpose, Lord, all capitals is Lord of hosts in Hebrew. Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Verse three, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Verse 4, And he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. Verse 5, And I said, this is Zechariah saying, and I said, let them put a clean turban on head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. We'll first read the first five verses and then we'll look at the six to to ten later. I have divided this into seven points. Don't worry, they're not going to go long. (coughs) Excuse me. Seven points. These are the seven points. Verse one, it talks about complaint against Joshua. Verse two is chosen by God. Verse three and five is cleansing and royal clothing. Verse 6 and 7, there's a command and a promise. Verse 8 and 9 talks about the coming Savior, the branch or the servant or the stone. And same 9, the second part talks about cleansing at the cross of Calvary. And verse 10, culminates with the ultimate blessing which is riches beyond this realm these seven points we will look at let's look at verse one now complaint against Joshua then he showed me who is this he it could be the interpreter angel it could be the angel of the Lord clarity is not there but what it doesn't matter who showed him what matters is to look at the vision and what God showed him and And he sees this, he sees Joshua, the high priest, standing before the Lord. He's standing, can you imagine this opening scene in verse 1? Here is Joshua who's standing, and to his right is Satan, and in front of him is the angel of the Lord. And who's the angel of the Lord? It's Jesus Christ. Remember we did that in the first vision when we looked at the man among the myrtle trees. It's Jesus Christ and you will see this coming again and again and again in the book of Zechariah. So he's standing before the angel of the Lord, and he is, what is he doing? He is talking about doing something beyond, and I'll explain to you in a while. Now, I want us to be cautious on this. Though it begins with Joshua, and we find Joshua is mentioned here, and in the vision he's saying Joshua, but it's not about Joshua alone. It's about the kingdom of Israel that the vision is, Last week, Pastor Victor shared about even in the little things that happen in our lives, there's a greater purpose for the kingdom. And in this vision, that's a realization or it's like a continuation from last week to now. What is the continuation? It is saying that though Joshua is there, it's not about him. It's about Israel as a nation. The term standing before means this. In the Hebrew original, it's, it's signifying the priest standing in the presence of God to minister. You know, if not for that, you will think it's like a court scene. It's not a court scene. It's a temple scene in which here's the temple construction. So we need to know the context. And here's the high priest. And the high priest is the representative of the people of God. And here he is worshipping or he's offering or he's ministering unto God. And as he is ministering, what is Satan doing? Satan is saying, look at you, Joshua. And he's telling to the angel of the Lord, look at Joshua, he is filthy. Look at the people of Israel, they're full of sin. How can they minister unto thee? And he's opposing. My friend, Satan continues to oppose even right now, doesn't he? He's continued to oppose from then to now. And he continues to oppose because we read it in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. I will not read the whole verse, I'll just read uh, saying, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been uh, hurled down. Now, what is he doing? He's constantly accusing the brethren, constantly accusing as a saint. Even now, I'm sure, even as you're sitting here or sitting in the places listening to online message, you hearing pounding of voices in your head that is accusing you, saying, you're not worthy. You cannot be ministering. How can you be in full-time ministry? How can you be serving God? How can you be doing this? How can you be doing that? Satan continues to accuse him. His people, God's people. But what do we find in verse 2? That's the beauty. Verse 2, it talks about being chosen by God. And the Lord said to Satan, Lord, rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from fire? Can you imagine this? Satan is accusing. And in the midst of the accusing here's the angel of the Lord who rebukes Satan and he says the Lord rebukes you now why does he rebuke Satan he is not rebuking Satan on the basis of Joshua's righteousness He's not rebuking, saying, hey, sir, I rebuke you. Joshua is the one who came from exile. Joshua is my high priest. Joshua has done so many good things. He is not talking about the basis of Joshua's righteousness for rebuking Satan. But see the basis that he brings. He says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a, is a significance to show it's Israel, it's a nation, it's a chosen people of God. So what he is saying is, I am not rebuking you based on his righteousness. I am rebuking you based on my choice of him. And Satan cannot stand that because it's a sovereign choice of the Lord. It's God who has chosen and God who has chosen to rebuke Satan and to forgive Joshua, to forgive Jerusalem, to forgive Israel. And when the Lord stands in that sovereignty, we find here that Joshua disappears and suddenly Jerusalem is brought into picture. That's why I said it's not about Joshua. You find Joshua is being accused by Satan, but God bases the forgiveness based on the choice that he has of Jerusalem representing Israel. And my friends, this is what we need to understand, that when it comes to our call for God, prophecies that come, the word that comes to our lives, the blessings that comes to our lives, it's not about us alone. It's about a greater kingdom purpose. It's about the kingdom purpose. You know, many of us must have read the book, Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. He starts his book in a very unique way. His first paragraph is just one sentence. It went on to becoming a bestseller. Many of you know the story. His, His first paragraph is one sentence. You know what that one sentence is? He says, it's not about you. He begins the book by saying, it's not about you. And then he goes on to this. I quote, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even happiness. It's greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose. End of quote. You are born in His purpose and for His purpose. It's not about you. Every time I have to preach on this stage, I tell myself it's not about me. It's about the church that God has chosen. It's about the people that God loves. It's about the kingdom that God is establishing. It's not about me. Every time I get a blessing, I get a promotion, I have to remind myself it's not about me. It's about the kingdom. And my friends, we need to constantly remind ourselves the same. That it's not about us. It's about the kingdom purpose. And you are here because God has chosen the church. Because God has chosen to establish the kingdom. Hallelujah. What a wonderful thing. Let's go on. In the same verse, he goes on to say, You are a brand plucked out of fire. You know what a brand plucked out of fire means? It's basically a stick. This was burning. You see this black portion here? It was burning. And it was plucked out of the fire. You're a brand plucked out of the fire. And this is a term that is used in the scripture to talk about how we were on our road to destruction, getting burnt and getting consumed in fire. God held it and he plucked it out and said, this is something precious and I'm going to hold this and I have a greater purpose for this brand, the stick that is plucked out of fire. We read that also in Amos chapter 4 and verse 11. Amos chapter 4 and verse 11 says, I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked out of the burning. My friends, when God plucks out a firebrand, we need to know it's not just to save the wood, it's because He has a greater purpose for this wood. When he plucked out Joshua and the children of Israel from Babylon and brought them back to the city of Jerusalem, it was not just to give them another land, it was for a greater purpose. He is the brand, he is the one who plucked us out of the fire and he says, I have a greater purpose for each one of you. Isn't this the story of each one of us? If you think you are the brand, before you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you were going into hell fire. The punishment of sin is death. The Bible says, and we would have been judged and thrown into hell. And what the Bible says is that we are that firebrand, the brand that God has plucked out of the fire, plucked out of that hell fire, and he has saved you and me. Don't we want to say a hallelujah to that? And he has not saved you just to give you salvation and a road to heaven. He has saved us for a greater purpose. And that's exactly what we are going to be looking at as we go on. John Wesley, some of us may know his story. When he was about six years old, he was he woke up one morning shocked at fire, literally fire all around him. Six-year-old boy. There was a fire in his house and everybody evacuated and they forgot this little boy in the house because, you know, Susanna Wesley and her husband had many children. They forgot... John Wesley in the house one of the neighbors before the whole house could collapse managed to form this human chain one stood on the other and they went and somehow plucked him out from there and his mother kept quoting this verse to him saying, John, you are a b- f- brand plucked out of fire. And in fact, when he wrote his own epitaph, he said, this is what I want inscribed on the stone saying, I'm a brand plucked out of fire. And we know, my friends, that John Wesley went on to becoming a revivalist in the Church of England. He established the Methodist movement that is there around the world today. And great revival came across the church as a result of this John Wesley who was a brand, who was plucked out of fire. And I'm confident this morning that God is able to use each one of us like he did John Wesley. If we yield ourselves and we know we were headed toward destruction, but God plucked us out of fire and he got, he's got a greater purpose for each one of us. He did not save us in vain. And when we realize that purpose, And when we begin to live, you need to understand this one thing. Satan's accusations against you will not stop. He will continue to accuse us. That's why we read even in Revelation, just before judgment on him, he is still accusing the brethren. He will continue to accuse. You need to turn a blind ear to him or a deaf ear to him and a blind eye and say, I am a brand plucked out of the fire and I'm going to be used by God. No matter what you say, Satan, it's not my righteousness. It's the righteousness of the Jesus Christ which I am bearing. And I move forward, not with my strength, but with the strength of God Almighty. And Satan can say nothing against that. That's a beauty, isn't it? Chosen by God. What a a beautiful thing. Do you know you are chosen by God? Why don't you turn to somebody if you're here or if you're watching online. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, I'm a brand plucked out of fire. (laughs) Hallelujah. You believe that? And God has a great purpose for us. Let's move on to verse 3. There's lots to look at. Cleansing and royal clothing. Verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, like you see here that I'm wearing. Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Verse 4, Then he said and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with riches, says the Lord. You know, in verse 3 we find this, that Joshua is is dressed in dirty garments and he's standing. So it's, it's very ironic. You know why? It's because a high priest, as per Exodus chapter 28, was supposed to cleanse himself, have clean clothes, before he goes to minister to the Lord. He has to wear white fully. He had to wear a white linen dress inside. On top of that, he would wear a lot of other royal-looking clothing. He would have a turban, and he would go to minister to the Lord. But in this vision, you find something contradicting. And what is the contradiction? Here is a high priest. It's no ordinary citizen of Israel. It's a high priest who is wearing dirty clothes. You know, the word filthy there in Hebrews means this. It means it's covered with human waste, excrement, you know, the excreta, the, the human waste. So it's like filthy. It is smelling. It's dirty. Can you imagine the shock Zechariah would have had being a priest himself? He would have said, how can this be? And he sees these dirty clothes on him. And then he goes on to show what happens about the dirty clothes. You know, when Satan sees these dirty clothes, he says, here's my chance. <laughs> here's my chance. But you know what Satan underestimates? He underestimates the grace of God. No matter how great our sin is, God's grace is greater than our sin. And he underestimates. He may accuse us and accuse us and accuse us, but God says, I rebuke you because I have extended my grace towards this child. I have extended my grace towards this nation. I have extended the grace towards this city. And God says, remove. And verse 4, what did we read? We read, then he answered and spoke and said, who stood before him. That's all the other angels who were there. He says, take away the filthy garment. No, he just takes it away. If not for corona, I would have had three people doing this on the stage. He says, take away the filthy garment. And not just take away. What else does he do? He says, I like the way it ends, the next verse. In the same verse in the last part, I like the way it ends. It says, not only take away the filthy garments, but he says, clothe them with rich garments. Clothe them with rich garments. I bought purple because it's supposed to be royal, right? (laughs) Clothe them with rich garments. It's not just about taking away filthy clothes. It's not about clothing you with ordinary clothes. He says in the last verse, I will clothe you with rich garments. In fact, the literal translation in Hebrew, it means royal clothing or festive clothing. It's a time of celebration. It's a time to rejoice in what God has done for us because he has not just rubbed us in ordinary clothes. He has rubbed us with rich clothing. Hallelujah. My friends, what a clothing. I know this is where when when Zechariah sees this, he says, hey, there's something missing. And verse 5, for the first time, he speaks up. Verse 5, he says this. Verse 5, he says this, and I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head. What Zechariah is saying is, hey, you dressed him, angels, you dressed him so good, but you've forgotten something. And Zechariah can't keep the excitement. He says, hey, you're doing it well. You removed his filthy clothes. Very good, very good. Now, why don't you also complete the job by putting a turban on his head? Because a high priest is not complete without the, covering on his head. And the beauty is, the turban, if you go back to Exodus and Deuteronomy and read the priestly clothing, the turban that covered the head had a gold plate in the front. And what did the gold plate read? Does any one of us remember? Holy unto the Lord. It's they saying, it's not just clothing but you have been set apart for God you have been sanctified for God you have been set aside to say you are going to be different and that's the beauty of what God is trying to communicate here he's saying complete the dressings the can't keep quiet so my friends you and I as we stand before God we do stand with our filthy clothes with that smelly clothes of excreta all over us and the human waste smeared and smelly and dirty. But it's Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord, who intervenes and rebukes Satan and commands the angels, saying, Clothe him now with royal clothing. And he puts on the royal clothing with everything that we need to have. Today as we stand, my friends, we don't stand in our righteousness. If you are standing as a royal priesthood, it's because of what Christ has done for us. If you are standing here and sitting here as a saint of God, it's because of what Christ has done for us. And you need to know that if you are not complete until you have that holy unto the Lord, a turban, which tells you and reminds you to say you are not just an ordinary person. You have been set apart by God unto holiness. You have been set apart. There are billions and billions and billions of people in the world, but God has chosen you and set you apart. And he's writing on your forehead. He has been holy unto the Lord. You know, Satan will continue to condemn. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 8 and verse 33, he says this, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. (laughs) Who can bring? Paul is trying to explain this to the Jews. I'm going to remove this because it's quite warm up here. (laughs) He's saying, who is it who will bring a charge against you? No one can because it is God who justifies. As you hear those condemning voices in your head, remind yourself that God is the one who justifies. One of my favorite songs from Alvin Slaughter and from the album Revive is this, but for grace, the song words go like this, but for grace, where will we be? Helpless and hopeless, lost without his mercy, but for love, we'll be lost in misery, but for your grace, O God, But for your grace. My friends, we sang those songs. But for his grace, we will not be here today. But for his grace, we won't be who we are. But for his grace, we won't be here. And there's no talking of Satan against the grace of God. Hallelujah. Let's move on. Let's move on to verse 6 onwards now. 6 onwards. Command and a promise. Then the angel of the Lord... Admonished Joshua, saying, And who's this angel of the Lord again? Jesus Christ. I picked up NKJV because angel of the Lord in NKJV is with a capital A when it refers to Jesus Christ, so that you don't get confused. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, and notice the word highlighted, if You will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of the courts. I will give you places where to walk among these who stand here. And personally, when I read this verse, I looked at it this way: Verse 4 to 5, where he removes the filthy clothes and he Clothes them with rich garments is justification of our salvation. It's justification. So we stand, when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Savior and our Lord, we stand justified. There is no taking away of our salvation verse 6 to 7 is like a sanctification process. Remember in part 1 we saw that. And now here there is an if and then principle. In the if and then principle there's no doubt on the salvation. There's no doubt on the choice of God. There's no doubt on the cleansing of God. It's to say if you obey you will experience greater blessings. You will be able to grow closer to God. You will be able to know God better. You will be able to fulfill the purposes of God better. That's what it's talking about. If and then. And he goes on to speak about the three ifs, two ifs and then he says there are three blessings that are there. Number one he says you will judge my house. You will judge my house. Number two he says you will have charge over my courts. That means we we read in Revelation it's the saints who will come to judge the world. You and me will be judging the world along with the Lord Jesus Christ. If time permits in this series, we will look at the judgment. I will give you places to walk among these. Who are these? Among the angels. Among the angels, It's what do the angels do? They come in and go out from the presence of God without any hesitation because they are holy. So God is saying, I am going to give you the access to you that you can come in and go out. Like it says in Hebrew, with boldness we come into his presence because of his grace. We can come into the presence of God. We can experience the angelic angelic hosts in our lives. Why? Because God has chosen us. And he is calling us to say, Obey, obey, if you will obey. There's a command that is given constantly. My friends, sometimes we get so pretty sitting in our salvation, the justification experience, we forget to grow from there in obedience. Christian life is about growing in constant obedience to the Lord. Now, I want you to ask yourself this question, what is the obedience quotient in your life to the word of the Lord? Now when it comes to obedience, some of us think it's marrying the right person, choosing the right job, living in the right city alone is obedience. But I'm talking about the little things. How is your kindness towards those who are around you? How are the words that you speak to others, does it reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ? Are you obedient in in bringing into subjection every thought that goes against the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you living in obedience to not let, let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth? Now, if you begin to obey in this small thing, God says, then I will begin to grow you to a position that you will be in charge of my house, you will be in my courts, and I, you will come in and go out like the angels do. My friends, I want to leave this with you. Yes, we are saved. There is no doubt on your salvation. You are justified by the sacrifice of Christ on the Calvary. There is no doubt. But for you to grow on a daily basis, every day ask yourself a question. How much of God's word did I obey today? How was my obedience? What did God speak to me in the morning through the day? Did I obey God or did I not obey God? And in that obedience, there is a blessing. If we need to move towards John chapter 10, where Jesus talks about living abundant life, I have come to give you life and life abundantly, Jesus says. If we need to experience an abundant life, We need to move in obedience. Why is it? Have you noticed some Christians are all into glorious, everything is going well. If it's not going well also, they're so joyful. But some others, no matter what happens in their lives, they're sulking. Don't question God. Question your obedience. Don't question God. God's character has not changed and will not change. His grace has not changed and will not change. What is important is to say whether you will obey him and live a life that is worthy of the calling that God has given us. Let's go on to verse 8 onwards, with 8 and 9. I love these two verses. It says... Coming Savior the branch, hear, O Joshua the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for there are a wondrous sign, for behold, I bring forth my servant the branch." And verse 9, for behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon this stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. Joshua is not alone. We see that in this verse. He's got his companions. What does this companions mean? This companions he's talking about his other priests that are there. He is the high priest. There are other priests around him in the temple. And the angel is trying to tell Joshua, you and your companions are not just for a time now. You are a wondrous sign. You are a sign of things to come. One of the Hebrew scholars called Dr. Unga. she says this is talking about a future sign that is to come. So he is going on to say what that future sign is. He says, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. And in fact, you will see branch written in all caps. It's referring to Jesus Christ. And you know in the scriptures, very often Jesus has been identified as the servant. I have come to serve, says the Lord. And then he's identified. If you read Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 1, he is identified as the servant. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 11, he is identified as the servant. And talk about the branch, Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 2, Jesus is referred as the branch. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, which is talking about the millennium reign, he is referred as as the branch. And Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, he is referred as the branch. So it's talking about Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, before you, Joshua, I have laid a stone. And you know and we know how Jesus Christ is referred as the stone in the New Testament. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, we know the stone that the builders have rejected. God has taken that stone and made him the cornerstone. And that cornerstone is the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, Zechariah has been given a vision already while the temple construction is going on saying that temple is nothing. There is coming a greater one, the bronze, the servant, the stone who is going to take away your sin. He's talking about the coming Messiah. He's talking about the coming Savior. What a beauty, isn't it? Some people ask, what are those eyes on the stone, the seven eyes? You know, seven in scriptures is a number of completion. Seven eyes, many scholars say, could refer to Messiah's omniscience. Being able to know what is happening around the world, to know that everything that is happening in the world, he is aware of. I like the last part of this verse, which brings me to my next point. Cleansing at the cross of Calvary and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. What does that mean, in one day? Christ is going to remove. Which is this day? Already filthy clothes are removed in the vision, but what is this day he's talking about? He talks about the filthy clothes, he's talking about removing of the filthy clothes, and then he's talking about the branch and the servant and the stone, and then he goes on to say, here is a wondrous sign that is yet to come, and that's Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary in one day, in one sacrifice, on that cross, when he said it is finished, Everything was done in one day. We were sinners in one moment. In the other day, we became saints. We were in the worst of conditions in one moment. In the other moment, became worshippers of God. We were in a pathetic situation in one moment. In the other moment, we are praising God. Why? Because in one day, Christ removed every iniquity from us, every sin from us, every punishment from us, and he gave us salvation that we can today live as the saints of God as the priests of God as a royal priesthood because of that one day hallelujah hallelujah my friends that one day it's talking about Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary when he will die and when he will take away our sin and he's done that and often my friends we take our salvation for granted we need to know it cost our Lord Years and years of prophetic preparation of Israel and culminated on that one day when the whole world knew there is something different that B.C. had to become 80 because of this one day in which Jesus finished the work on the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah. Beautiful, isn't it? It's exciting. We can go on and on. Let's look at the last point in verse 10. In verse 10, in that day says the Lord of hosts, which day, now in one day, and then it goes to in that day, and this one day, and to that day, there's thousands of years of gap. When we read the scripture, we should, we should really watch all these things, right? In one day and in that day. What is that day? It's talking about, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his wine and under his fig tree. What does this mean? It appears like, okay, it looks like a party. Outdoor party. It's not talking about party. Wine and fig tree signified God's peace upon his people. It signified ample supply of God in their lives. We read that in 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 25. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel from Dan to Beersheba lived in safety. Everyone under their own wine and under their own fig tree. What was Solomon's time? Golden era. A time when they lacked nothing, where silver was considered as nothing, gold was abundant plenty, and that's the time that he's talking about, where Christ is going to be ruling. He's talking here about Solomon's time, but what Zechariah is talking about is the Messiah's time. When in the new millennium, in Revelation chapter 20, we read how Christ will rule. And I want you to go back home and read Isaiah chapter 11 and Revelation chapter 20 to know what happens during millennium and how when Christ will rule, everything will be so much of peace and so much of ample supply. We also read this prophecy in Micah chapter 4 and verse 4. Everyone will sit under their own wine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. Because of that one day, in that day, no one will make us afraid. Because of that one day, in that day, we will live in peace, shalom, completeness, wholeness, that we will live such complete life. There' are no more vacuum within us. We will just feel so fulfilled in Christ. We will call our neighbors and say, "Here's my blessing. come, rejoice in my blessing and live together with me. Hallelujah. Isn't this the gospel story, my friends? In conclusion, I just want us to see the parallel in the gospels that is there. We need to understand, we were sinners with filthy clothes, and we were chosen by God. When Satan was trying to rebuke us and send us into hellfire, God plucked us out like a brand. And he said, I have a greater purpose. And he didn't just say it. He fulfilled it when he sent his servant the branch to die on the cross of Calvary. And then he completed the work. And he goes on to say, this is nothing. There is coming a blessing where you will be sitting under the wine and under the fig tree. And you will be complete. You can use Zechariah chapter 3 to preach a Christmas message. Because this is the gospel story. My friends, sometimes I just want to conclude with this. We take our salvation for granted. You know, it's like this. A father who gives this car to the son and says, drive carefully. The son is careful initially saying, oh, it's my father's car. I have to take care of it. But over a period, he forgets it's his father's car. And he begins to drive the car as he wants. And he even forgets that this car belongs to him. In his mind, he doesn't even think this is not mine. It's the same kind of transition that happens to many of us. And I'm talking now about strong believers whose lives were transformed by God. We can forget where God picked us up from. Like that son, initially you were so rejoicing, God saved you. You were singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see. But now you've forgotten those things. You got so caught up in the things that you have to do, you've forgotten the preciousness of the salvation. And Zechariah 3 brings us back to say, remind yourself for that in one day when God took away that sin of ours, it cost him something. And that's because of his grace that's unconditional and unchanging. And because of love. Every day we need to say, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for blocking me out of the fire, Lord. And thank you for establishing me for a purpose. And it should translate into worship. Hallelujah. Tune in for a new message next week. To know more, visit us at www.adonichurch.in.